I said, where the fuck were you when I needed you? Where the fuck was anybody when I needed them? I said, I fought a whole war by myself. I fought a whole gang of blacks. And I'm not really a racist or anything, but it was some blacks that tried to rape me. the truth but uh every day every what happened i started the recording because i wanted to get this uh, story in yeah um but i got a thing up here but okay uh he said you know frank i watch you man and every day you know when it's nice out you come out and you do a little uh, you walk your laps and all these youngsters, man, they're starstruck, man. They, they hear all about you, man. And uh, the road's trying to greet you and all that. And you're just a humble dude, man. He says, but you could, with all these youngsters, man, you could point your finger at them, tell them, go handle that problem of mine. And they'll go do it, you know? And I said, yeah, but he said, but you don't do that. And I said, no, why would I want to do that? Why would I want them to turn five-year sentence into a life or a death penalty. You know, I'm not, I'm not that way. I don't want them to live what I live, you know. Uh, and he said, you also speak very good. You write real well. He said, you know, I think you need to be our voice. I think you need to go out there and tell, tell the fucking world the truth. And that pissed me off. I mean, because the first... From 1976 to like 1984-85, uh, a storm came at me, man, uh, and it was intense. It changed not only my life forever, but me as well. Uh, and I, I got pissed off. I said, where the fuck were you when I needed you? Where the fuck was anybody when I needed them? I said, I fought a whole war by myself. I fought a whole gang of blacks. And I'm not really a racist or anything, but it was some blacks that tried to rape me. So uh, I said, you know, and he goes, hey, man, I'm sorry. And I, I thought about it. I couldn't get, I couldn't let go of it. It just kept hanging on me. And I realized, well, I realized something at first. I, I thought that, there's some, yeah, he's right. I've been thinking about this. And uh, so I decided I'm going to write a tell-all book. I'm going to tell about certain things they did to me physically, guards, uh, that people have a hard time believing. Even guys in the joint say they don't do things like that. I said, yeah, well, they did it to me, you know, and and I'm a, and I can you can fact check everything I say, you know I can prove everything, you know. There's always a paper trail somewhere, and uh, and, and and Mary's good at that. She got it all. Uh, I mean, from the forced psychotropic medications, antipsychotic drugs they forced on me, and massive overdoses trying to break me, you know. And like the psychiatrist said, my my orders are to break you by any means necessary. And if I have to, I'll skyrocket your mind to Mars. 
And he tried to do just that, but no cigar, right? Uh, but he came close. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and, and this all stems from me making the right decisions. Not to be involved in gangs. Never been involved in gangs in my whole life. You know, and that's the way I was raised. I grew up in New York. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Riddled with gangs. But my father was the kind of man where uh, I was his only son. And he was a good man. He gave me some invaluable lessons in life that I embrace today. My moral compass, my my convictions, my principles. Uh, you know, I, I'm one of those people where I believe in honesty. You know, what are you going to do, judge me? I've been dealing with that my whole life. I'm all right. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I like who I am. I like the man that I've become. I like the person that I've met since I've been out. And he's a complete opposite of what I became in there. What I, what I guess all that intensity, all that violence, all that bloodshed that lasted those years, each and every day, when you, when you wake up, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or what today's going to bring. And, and that stress and that tension, it just wears you. It just wears on you. Because you know there's a group of people coming to kill you. You're green-lighted. Green-lighted, you know, your name's in the hat. Uh, when I got there, I was scared. My whole life has been filled with fear. But that fear has guided me. And I learned that emotions, I'm a very emotional, sensitive, feeling kind of person. But I learned that emotions are a great power. And if you can learn to harness them and focus that, man, you're a force to reckon with. And I did. I did. I didn't go to the man. I'm not going to lie. I thought about it. When I, when all this shit was laid on my lap, you know, uh, after the attempted rape, uh, and them guys, you know, it all, at, the ne- at breakfast the next day, I sat with uh, the number two guy of the A-dubs. And he said, listen, he said, you know what happened last night? He said, you know, he told me, your name's in the hat. He said, look, I can't go up against, you know, he talked about the other guy. And he said, I just can't go up against him right now. But his orders are final. That's it. It's not right. But he says, look, are you a man? I said, I'm, you know, I'm growing to being a man, you know. Uh, I said, uh, I just want to do my time. He said, well, it's gone past that, son. You know, he said, you got to make a decision. You're either going to be a sheep or a wolf. If you're going to be a sheep, pull your fucking pants down and just let them fuck you. He said, all you can do in life is be the best man you can. And he said, hey, I'm sorry, but if you have to, die like a man. And I know in that moment when I, as it like permeated my, by being my, the seriousness of my situation and the unfairness of it. But something was telling me, don't think about the unfairness of it. Think about the reality of it. And me as a child, I used to run from the gangs until one day. One day I was coming home from a school thing 
and one of the uh they were called the shamrocks in that in, in uh where i live in that area in brooklyn and one of the guys had his cut on and he had his studs metal studs and he goes and i seen him and i started running he goes yeah you better run or i'm gonna kill you and i was as i'm running something is happening there's another something's coming into me and it's creeping up on this fear that grips me and it starts to override it <laughs> and it just fills me with this fucking energy that <laughs> i'd never experienced before but it wasn't a good energy and i stopped and i turned around he said you better run and I did, but right for him. <laughs> I ran right towards him. And uh, he said, hey, you know, he's starting back up a little bit. Brooklyn has, New York has a lot of what they call garbage alleys, concrete mm-hmm. steps. You go down there and it's all, you know. And uh, I hit him. I just ran into him and we both went down the stairs. And I just wanted to destroy. I just wanted to, to destroy. uh Everything I wanted to kill my father that for beating my mom and all the fear in that household. And I wanted to, because I was afraid of him and I couldn't protect my mom because I was too small, you know? Uh, and, and I just wanted to kill everything that made me afraid. Mm-hmm. And it came out on this guy. And I just kicked him so much that the sh- soles of my shoes broken off and there was blood all on my pants and I was crying while I was hitting him and kicking him mm-hmm. and he wasn't moving. He wasn't moving. And uh I got scared and I took off and I ran home. Cleaned myself up, you know, and, and threw my pants down the garbage chute and uh went to school the next day and uh somebody asked me if I'd heard about the kid killer, man, my heart dropped. I said, no, what, what's going on? And they said, man, there's somebody uh, uh, trying to, that's killing kids. I said, what are you talking about? And somebody else said, no, somebody got hurt really bad yesterday. And, uh, but he's alive, but he's in the hospital. <laughs> I, I'm, I know this is me, you know, I'm knowing this is me. Uh, to be honest, I never saw the guy again. It wasn't too much longer after that. Uh, I had asthma and I was in the ambulance quite a bit. You know, New York is very humid. And the doctors told him, uh, look, you got to find a drier climate for this kid or he's never going to make it to his, uh, to his teens. And so my family decided, well, with what's going on in my life, because I was, I was fighting people now. Right. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't taking. How old were shit. you? I, huh? How old were you at this time? Uh, 12, 12, hmm. 12. I remember I used to run from the gangs, like I said. But one time I got caught, I was like 11 years old. And I got, I got caught and, and I, got, I got smashed out, right? So I get home, and my father's there, and he goes, hey, what's the other guy look like? I said, no, Dad, there was, there was four of them. And... Uh, and he said, I don't, get, I don't care how many there was. Get out of this house. Mm. And don't come back until you got every one of them. 
I said, but dad, he said, no, you heard what I said. I said, okay. And I left <laughs> just like that. And you got to understand my father was like God to me. I, I hung on his every, everything he said, you know, and all I ever wanted to do was be accepted by him and be his buddy. Right. Uh, but like I said, he was a good man, but he was broken. He dealt with everything through violence. And I mean, real violence. Mm -hmm. uh, he would not accept failure on any level. He'd be testing me on my times table, my multiplication. And I would make a mistake and he would give me a look and I would know if I screwed up again, I was going to get a bloody nose, a fat lip or whatever, because he hit me with his fist. And I'm that fear of knowing that make I'm going to screw I, and I screw up again. Boom. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I get it. So, but that's what I came to know. So I tried to make sure I never failed on any level. And so I immediately knew I had to get every one of them. <laughs> I knew, I knew the neighborhoods. I knew where people lived. It took me 10 days, it took me 10 days living on the streets in Brooklyn. It's okay. It's not hard. If you know the rules, getting clothes, it's a, getting food out of the stores from the deliveries, from the bakeries. They always set some aside for the bums and you just take, just take a little bit, you know, and share with everybody else. If you get greedy, you get hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, then, then people didn't play. Uh, but it, like I said, it took me 10 days, but I did get every one of them. Not necessarily fairly. One guy I only, I used, I kicked him in the face three times while he was sitting on the stoop. The other guys I used the garbage can lid, a, a chunk of wood, a uh, broken bottle, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and plus I stole food out of the store and I'd walk down the aisles and eat the food because I'd get hungry. I stole clothes off the clothesline. There's a lot of clotheslines in Brooklyn. You can just snatch all the clothes you need. <laughs> and, uh, and so I made my way home. I'm thinking I'm going to get in trouble for using weapons and from stealing food out of the store. But I never once in my life thought to lie to my father. Never once. It would save me a whole lot of heartache. And I learned, but I just could not lie to my dad. He was my dad. And so uh, I, get, I get home. And he goes, well, and I said, I got them, dad. I got them all. I said, but I said, I did some, some things that you might not like, you know. And he said, like what? I said, I, I stole food out of the store to eat. He said, well, you had to eat, didn't you? I said, yeah. He said, then you had to survive. You, you did all right. And I said, and only one guy I used, me, you know, I, I used weapons on the rest of them. And he said, that shows you were committed. And then he took me on a little ride about never hesitate ever when you know something has to be done. He said, because hesitation can get you killed. And if you're in, in charge of a group of individuals, you can cause them their death if you hesitate. And my father has been to war. He fought in World War II and all that, Korea. And so, you know, and he had a lot of decoration. He had a silver star, bronze star, and you had to earn this. You know, uh, he had three purple hearts. Uh, you know, he, and so I, when he told me, when I called him one day, 
I called him one day after a couple of attempts were made on me, you know, knife attempts, uh, and I survived them. Uh, I called him one day. I said, hey, Pop, I'm not coming home. He said, what? And I'd already told him what had happened, right, and how I could not go to the man because there was a man. I've, I've seen so much shit there, so much crooked shit. I seen a guard walk up on some A-dub stabbing some dude in the bullpen. And he got past the point. And he walked, he walked past myself. I knew it. they're in trouble now. But when he saw, got to the bullpen and saw what was going on, he went, oh, 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 excuse me. He was stuttering and everything. And he left. And nobody came back. He didn't report it. Mm. <laughs> it's none of his business. And that's the, that was the order of the day. The understanding was from the warden and the people who ran the prison, which is pretty much the Aryan warriors, is that, look, my officers no longer, because they were getting hurt on the streets too. Pat McKenna uh, would, uh, we got to watch, I don't want to use names, but the guy that's, you know, I said no to, he, uh, he was having guards out there, you know, shot at, beat up, you know, and even one convict ended up, you know, coming up missing. Mm -hmm. And so he was starting to ramp up, you know, and there was going to be some killings out there now. And there was going to be guards. Well, the warden came to an understanding. Uh, we got our gambling mats back, you know, for the fourth floor, for the third floor in the cell house where they had uh, whiskey, weed, uh, pills, uh, cash money. You know, uh, guards bringing in all this stuff, right? The whiskey and all that, half cases of scotch whiskey. And weekends, they made lots of money. And and, and it kept the drugs flowing. And, and so that came back when the agreement was made. Okay, and he told them, look, I don't care what you do to each other. Just as long as my officers go home safe and sound every night and there's no more bullets flying in people's houses. And it was agreed. And so things just went on. People getting stabbed, killed. Uh, it was crazy, man. I mean, truly back then it was survival of the fittest, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, like the dude said to me when he processed me, he said, congratulations, you are now one of us, perhaps go out there and live or die. Mm -hmm. I had no idea, Thomas, how prophetic those words would be, would be in my life. <laughs> yeah. And, but, 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 but going back, scared. Huh? going back to, to your childhood though. So in essence, what your father had taught you is to retaliate, right? When, oh, yes. when you, when you felt you were wronged, you know, to retaliate for that. And I think ultimately that is what led up to the incident that landed you in prison, no? Uh, yes, yes, of course. Of course, uh, because my father instilled in me never to belong to gangs. He said a man, a real man, stands alone and he fights his own battles. He fights for his family, his friends, and all that he loves unto his death if necessary. And to this day, I'm out now. I'm out. Uh, and I find that 
I'm a compassionate, caring, forgiving person. If you're sincere when you apologize to me, I'll forgive you. My Achilles heel is don't ever harm anyone I care for. Mm. I, as much as I fear going back to that nightmarish hell, harm someone that I love, uh, nothing, there's no consequence that would hold me back. And that's, I, I acknowledge that of myself. You know, mm-hmm. uh, well, I think a lot of us, I, I think a lot of us do. I, you know, I, I feel like that as well. And the thing of it is with me is I have to protect my own self, right? Because I know that that is a trigger for me, you know, and I also know that I've loved people in the past that haven't loved me equally. And I would have done these things for these people that wouldn't have done these things for me, you know, and it's now understanding that I was doing what I was doing in the past to gain these people's love. And it just, it created a life of chaos for me, you know? So now knowing that that's a trigger for me and knowing I'm that type of individual that it'll come to no holds barred. You know what I mean? When it comes to somebody that I care about, it's, it's, very, very limited as to that's a very small circle. Yes. Very, very small circle. Exactly. Yes. Those you truly love. <laughs> and and I know love me equally. You know, that love has to be oh, yes. reciprocated yes. for me, you know. People that you trust implicitly. Yeah. That you can lie on your deathbed and say without a single doubt or hesitation, that is my friend. Yeah. That's, Knowing that they're gonna that's, give yeah. that's what I have. And I'm blessed because my father told me, sometimes you come out with these sayings. I didn't quite understand them sometimes, but he would simply tell me, that's okay. It's just not your time to understand. And right. How right he was because throughout my life, some of the things he told me, all of a sudden, something would be going on and it, it would come back. And I would understand what he meant because I was experiencing it now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, you know, throughout this whole thing, this whole experience, uh, I have learned so many things. You see, my question used to be to God, what did I do at the age of 18, 19 years old to deserve (laughs) this kind of an existence? Mm -hmm. All this to happen to me. I was just one year from coming home. What did I do? But I realize it's not, that's not the question to be asking. The question is, I mean, that happened. There's nothing I can do about it. I can blame anybody I want. It doesn't matter. It happened. Now, what can I gain from it? I survived it. Why did I survive? What can I learn from all of this? Uh, because in that solitary self, from I, I, I disconnected so completely that from... 2008 until sometime in 2013 i have absolutely no memory of anything i was catatonic but they still left me in the cell because my brain had mental habit patterns where i would get up in the morning make my bed Uh, i never came out of the cell because i had agoraphobia uh i could i would freak i would pull my own teeth out 
it would take me hours. They get inspected. It, I'd get a piece of nylon string from the mattress and tie it in there and spend hours. And I'd pull out molars by the root. Good God. Did four, did four teeth that way. Woo. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the panic attacks I would have coming out the cell, they just left me alone. They're supposed mm-hmm. to do random shakedowns. They knew they couldn't take me out of the cell. But the administration kept denying the psych staff that were saying, hey, man, that this guy is fucked up. Mm-hmm. This cell has taken him away from himself. You know, he's, he's no longer, you know, a person. <laughs> and uh, but the administration said he's staying right where he is. Mm-hmm. And then it came. Then it came. Uh, <laughs> that somebody discovered I was about to get out of prison. And that, I had too much time. Life sentence for murder, uh, attempted murders, assault with deadly weapons, uh, you know, sentences I caught in prison, just, you know, possession of deadly weapons. It just kept stacking, stacking, and stacking. I couldn't do all that time. However, <laughs> God was smiling on me, I guess, because the parole board was paroling me in absentia. And I was expiring sentences, too. You can do a lot of sentences in 43 years, you know. I did, I did exactly 42 years, 9 months, and 15 days. I got out in, uh, in uh, December 21st, 2018. And it's been a hell of an experience out here. And that place has damaged me real bad. It's, it's, it's a forever. Well, we're going to, yeah, when we cut, when we, we're going to cut off here. And then when we come back, we're going to get into the charges, how you ended up in prison. Um, and then we're going to just walk all of this through, you know, um, and just, and just share experiences, you know, and, and things of that nature, but it's very important. And I'm glad that you said what you said about the teeth and solitary confinement, because, I speak quite frequently on, on solitary confinement and the things that I've saw. And, and it just reinforces the things that I've, I've said, you know, because a big thing about my program, Frank, is that there's so many of these other convict channels that are out there that are um, exploiting prison in a sense. And they're creating their, their shows as to the atrocities that happen in prison right yeah like 60 days in yeah 60 days in and and all of these shows but not more specifically these are guys that are coming home from prison and starting their own youtube channels and they 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 get into the glamour of all the likes and subscribes of of talking about gang violence and men raping men and things of that nature and and for me I tend to stay away from that. Yeah, we'll conversate on on these atrocities and we'll talk about the effects that they had, but I'm not going to glamorize them on my channel simply because exactly. I, I was in it. You know what I mean? And, and the thing yeah. of it is, is that any person that, that has been on the front line of war does not come back from war and glamorize it. If anything, we're trying to keep people out of it. Exactly. So when I talk about solitary confinement, the things that I've saw people beating their heads up against the wall, you know, and people hanging themselves, you know, just, just, you know, just, just these things. It's, it's not the glamorize that it's, this is for the listener. It's not the glamorize that, but it's to 
truly understand what solitary confinement does to the human mind. You know, you know? Uh, as you know, I'm on, I'm on Twitter now. Someone told me a while back, you ought to get on Twitter. So I joined, but I never did anything, right? And they said, Frank, man, this is your platform. Twitter's good. You're gonna, people are going to love you. They're going to they're gonna feel you. They're going to feel your sincerity. And uh, people are going to respond. And so I just started talking about my experiences there, right? And then I just said to hell with it, and I just started getting real about it, you know? And, uh, uh, and then one of my tweets went viral or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got a bunch of people liking me. And, and, and like I said, I, I sort of deviated, but I told that guy, uh, his name is Diablo, that Southerner. I went back to him. I said, you know, I gave you my word. I'll do my best to try to convince people that they don't know what's really going on. That America's greatest dirty secret is its prison system. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of corruption. And there's a lot of bad shit going on there. It is a bad place to be. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. It will change you. It will change you. <laughs> you know, it will change you from the person that you are, if you're a good person, because there's nothing good about prison. <laughs> you know, uh, I said, it, it's, I said, it's a place where kindness and compassion uh, and those kind of qualities are oftentimes seen as weakness mm-hmm. and to be preyed upon and stamped out. How the hell can such an environment be healthy for anyone where love is frowned upon? You know, uh, that's a bad place to be. And it will get into you. It will change you. It even changes the guards. I've met, you know, you and I both know, I tell people, I said, listen, man, the cold truth is we need prisons. Mm -hmm. There are some people out there that don't belong out there. You want Jeffrey Dahmer's out there? John Wayne Gacy's son of Sam's. Hey man, there's something broken them. You can't fix a radio. You got to just throw it away. And that's what prisons are. You met, you give them as much as you can to make their lives comfortable as long as they follow the rules, all that. But these people are never getting out. All those type of people need to be kept together. And the youngsters, because now youngsters, when you go into Ely, you got to tip up with your race. Mm-hmm. And hope they accept you. Otherwise, man, you're going to get, you know, it got to a point where they would unlock the doors and people were taking bets. You know, uh, an hour, two hours, a week, a day before something kicked off. Yeah. Well, we got out and within the hour, somebody was found dead up on the stairs. We locked down again. You know, it's uh, it, it got to that point. Yeah. And so all you're doing is just you're not doing nothing. You're doing time in cell. That's why you know, I say people, people, they won't understand. They can't understand. It's impossible for them to understand. It'd be like them trying to understand, you know, the effects of slavery on a person or, or you know, uh, the Holocaust or something to that effect or war, you know, first line war it's it's inconceivable to a person that has never experienced that type of violence or been in that type of environment to where it it can come at you from any moment any direction you know what i mean it's just 
it's, it's inconceivable for people to understand that type of, of lifestyle. And when you stack years on top of that, it's exactly.